the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod. I am joined today in the Grotto Pod, apparently by Kathleen Turner. Oh, God, I hope so. Yeah, I or Demi, Demi Moore. Moore. I, I, I kind of put Kathleen Turner on a little bit of a I know, pedestal. I'm psyched. I know, I'm happy. Above. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, is this irritating? It's me? actually Bridget Quinn author who has co-opted the voice of the scratchy, kind of throaty I sound affect. much better. I sounded like Pee Wee Herman oh, that and sucked. Lauren McCall for the last few days. And it got a little better when I took my sister's homeopathic remedy. Okay. Pulsatilla. Now, you're saying that this is due to the subpar air quality in the Bay Area region. I'm subpar? That's saying, that's putting it I kindly. Think it's, it's like, we like 234 today. Yeah, it's not safe. And no. I wore a mask, you wore a mask, we wear glasses. And we can't see. It sucked. So um, I took the glasses off because I that? couldn't see. Well, I almost got hit by a car. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, it was so apocalyptic. Life. I'm telling my sister, so I get up to, I've been holding off, you know, no, no mask, no mask, no mask. It's ridiculous, I no mask. Know. Today I go, all right, fine, I'll go buy a mask. I go to a little hardware store in my neighborhood, there's, there's a, a line of people. I was say, there's masks left? And there's a guy just holding a big stack of masks, and they, uh, you get up to him and he goes, how many? It was yeah. like did we you have a limit, like you couldn't get too many. Uh, no, I don't know. I only got two, but I was like, it, we have officially reached Blade Runner status. So we have three people in my home at the moment, and the guy when I was buying them at my hardware store, Ace, said, "Get two packs. They're three each." He's like, "Cause they wear out, and you're gonna need a second one." See, and now you've invested the twenty bucks for the decorative one, which to me says this is the new normal. This is how I it's gonna be now, right? One because. My glasses don't fog up. Hmm. That is a problem. It's made out of cloth. Hmm. I don't want to linger on this because it really freaks me out. And the problem today is we got work going on in our house, and I wake up today and I'm like, it smells like gas in here. I oh. say, what's going on? They say, oh, yeah, we're working on some stuff, so it's going to smell like gas. I said, what do I do? Open a window? Oh, my Choose God. Choose your poison, right? What if you're a weird, short, dense dog and you're stuck in that there? That's crazy. So I opened a window. What was I supposed to do? I don't want my dog to die. Well, I think gas will kill you faster, and he's going to die before lung stuff gets him. Okay. All right. Okay. Today, apropos of nothing, because that's just what's on our mind today, (laughs) our guest is really kind of grotto mainstay. Thaisa Frank. Yeah. She's been here. I think she's, had she been here a long time? It just seems that way to me because she was here when I got here. Yes. She got here probably right before you. She is one of those, like um, Fenton, Fenton Johnson before exactly. her. Exactly. She's one of these writers' writers. I was going to say, the thing, the reason you think that about Thaisa is that she's a lauded, well-known writer. She really is. <laughs> she has two, she had two pen awards. Yeah, for short fiction, and I mean, I think that her novels have been on like San Francisco or San Francisco Chronicle bestseller mm-hmm. list. Her books of short stories have been. She's also a writer's writer in that she writes books about writing. She loves the process of writing. I noticed just looking at her blog, she is really into breaking it all down. Yeah, and she, I mean, she's a local teacher at universities, but uh, she has a book called "Finding Your Writer's Voice: A mm-hmm. Guide to Creative Fiction." Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it, and I know it's you in writing programs throughout this great land. Let me throw down her bona fides. So she has taught at San Francisco State, USF, and the University of California. Cal, to you and I. Uh, she did write Finding Your Writer's Voice, A Guide to Creative Fiction. She has written three short story collections, Leaping in Velvet, and A Brief History of Camouflage, both of which landed on the San Francisco Chronicle bestsellers list. There you go. And her new book, Enchantment, which is two semi-autobiographic novels and 33 stories. How do you think she fit 33 stories into one book? Short. Indeed. Flash fiction. She is an adopter of the flash fiction. So we are going to discuss that today. Oh, I want to talk today. about that because you know what? I want to write flash nonfiction. Ooh, interesting. I know. Hey, what about Heidegger's? I was going to oh, say, yeah. she also wrote a novel called Heidegger's Glasses, and which is interesting in that I just said she her new book has two semi-autobiographical novelettes. Mm-hmm. And Heidegger's glasses is anything but autobiographical. It's mystical. Yeah. Mythical. Sorry, not mystical. Might be a little mystical. So we're going to get her in here. Depends on what you think of Heidegger, I guess. Uh, Nothing really. I don't know much about it. You don't have any thoughts? I am consumed by Golden State Warriors drama, so I can think of nothing else. Oh, I'd like to talk about that, but this is not We're going to talk about it. This is not the form. (laughs) Here's a little, uh, I'm going to tell a little story before Thaisa gets here for all you writers out there. Oh, Nice. Uh, as we were talking Writers about, like stories. we were talking about off mic. I'm having a little roadblock issues with the novel I've been working on, and one of those issues is where to do the actual work. 
Oh, yeah. I have found that the grotto is not a great place for me to actually write because I'm a little too social. Same. I normally write at home, but in the last uh, month or so, we've had work done on the house, which has caused my dog to freak out, which translates into me having to get up every 15 seconds and redirect him. Can't work at home. Irritating, yeah. So I said I'm going to try to go to the library. So yesterday I go to the library, sit down at a table alone. 15 minutes later, this guy walked up who kind of looks like a cyborg. You know, just sort of Germanic, wide-set eyes. Like that guy in Blade Runner? A little Rutger Howery, oh, but so slightly more unkempt. Not homeless guy unkempt, but slightly unkempt. I like that. He walks up to me and he says, extremely quietly with an accent of some sort, can I sit here? I said, what? <laughs> He's like, can I, can I sit here? Yeah, go ahead. Have, knock yourself out. He sits down and proceeds for the next hour to open his backpack and remove the most random collection of things. I'm talking like three phones. Oh. Uh, a zip-up, a zip-up uh, zip pouch with his name Ty on it, with a bunch of cords and stuff. Bag of prunes, wire, four or five day timers, a calendar oh. that has on the top the best times to see elephants in Africa. I am not kidding you. Several legal pads on which are written poems by Edna Saint Vincent Millay. How am I supposed to write? I don't know, but, you know, I would not be able to turn away from this either, and this drives my husband crazy. I'm I, like, I can't tune this kind of thing out. I couldn't tune it out. That's In what fact, makes us writers. I, I actually was writing. I was writing to my sister. Okay, he just brought a bunch of prunes out. Right. Three things of Mentos. Three separate things of Mentos. It's so Euro. Mentos and he was so... And it was a burden to him. He was sighing. He was going oh. through these lists, crossing things out. And he didn't seem crazy. In fact, he, and then he brought out a huge term paper looking thing. Oh. I wish I remember what he had written on it. It was bizarre. <laughs> and I just like, I, I guess I'm not writing today. So you know, I feel like people could say that about me. That I, you have prunes? You travel with large prunes? Uh, well, things like that, yeah. <laughs> I, so, I like you know, listeners, if you can think of things. a solution to my issues with finding a place to I, write. I have one thing to say, though. What? Okay, it's this. When you are gone at the library with Rutger Hauer, what is your dog Shaq doing? Probably the same thing he'd right. be doing if I was home. So just ignore him. Oh, good luck with that. But if he's doing it when you're not there. Let me tell you what he's doing. Okay. He goes to the front. Yeah. He scratches on the floor. Okay. Oh. He walks from the floor, and I say, stop. He goes to the back. He chews on the hamper. But he's I, doing that if you're not there. I don't care if he's doing it if I'm not there. I just can't oh, write when I'm listening okay, to no, it, having no. to get up every every five seconds and do it. God. So, you know, and I did try to go to the library the day before, and I ran into an elementary school class. I think I was texting you about that because the kids <laughs> were making were tons of noise. And, like, I can't. With, you know, I was kept thinking of Alejandro saying, I miss those shh librarians. Please bring them oh, back. Oh, I know. Librarians are so nice now. I know. It's they terrible. They're kind of mean. Weird I like mean librarians. Well, there that's... But, but, <laughs> and we've taken... This is the longest intro in the history oh, of intros. Sorry, Tice. I hope you're enjoying it. This will not cut into Tice's time. We'll give her bonus time. I know, but, but I'm going to stop talking about my issues. But again, listeners, if you can think of a solution, if there's a third place... And don't tell me to write in a bar, though I did do that in Switzerland and banged out 5,000 words. That makes me angry, actually. Let me know. A place where someone with maybe a little, um, not hyper, but a little inattentive ADD might be able to sit and get some work done. If, that, if you can think of that, let us know. Send that to uh, grottopod at gmail.com. Or, you know, just fire it out on the old uh, Twitter at the grottopod. We'll give you those addresses again at the end. But meanwhile... We need to go get Thais up so she can tell her story. Thaisa, welcome to the Grotto Pod. Thank you. I Thank feel you like for coming here. This has been a long time coming. Yes, it has. It's been a long time. When we tried to do it the first time months ago. Yeah. And you know what? I this just for my own. I'm unclear about your status at the grotto. I thought you left the grotto a while ago. I did. I I left the grotto a while ago, and then I came back. Yay. Yes. Very surreal. (laughs) It could be one of your own stories. Well, I've been thinking about it. (laughs) I want to hear it. Maybe not now. I'm going to grab my notes here. You know, I don't really know where to start. In our intro, we actually compared you to someone else that we had had in recently, a writer named Fenton Johnson. Oh, I know Fenton. In that you're sort of a writer's writer. 
like type of person. Like people love you, love your writing. Mm-hmm. But also a person who's really interested in the craft of writing. Huh. And I actually wrote in my notes, uh, nuts and bolts versus telling a story. Oh, that's so interesting because I don't think about nuts and bolts. But you write about them in your blog. Yes. That's what I do when I don't, when I'm not able to write fiction. <laughs> oh, I love hearing I this. I talk about writing fiction. Well, oh, my gosh. I love this. <laughs> why don't you, brilliant. Why don't you take us back then? Let's talk about your development as a writer, like how it all started. One question I always ask okay. everyone who comes in here is what was that kind of aha moment when somebody responded to something you wrote Oh, and said, hey, you're pretty good. Well, you know, for me, the aha moment was when I wrote. Mm-hmm. I, when I was eight years old, my family moved to California briefly, mm-hmm. and it was a very histrionic family that later deserved to be written about. <laughs> and, um, but I wrote a story one day. I was sitting in my bed, and I wrote a story, and something was happening to me that made me feel connected to the whole world far beyond my family, far beyond my family. I don't think it was a very good story, mm-hmm. but I somehow knew I was a writer. What did that feel like at eight years old? It felt like it might feel now. It felt like a vast connection to something that I couldn't name. Wow. And, but I think we all feel it, you know, driving down the freeway, mm-hmm. moment of looking at the sunlight. This was just a little prolonged. Mm-hmm. What was the story about? It was a story. Of, it was called The Perfect Day. <laughs> and oh. it was a story about a little boy who had rescued a baby bird and was taking it home on his, in the basket of his bicycle. And I even drew a picture to go with it. Oh, multimedia. <laughs> nice. That's a hard story to tell, though, because you start out with a title that's hard to reach. Yeah, that's true. Um. And then you've already had the rescue. Yeah, it's dif- difficult. and But for an eight-year-old, it's easy. because uh, Which is know, awesome. We just think about the perfect arc at eight. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. I still don't know what the perfect day is. I'm still working on that. Yeah. Um, I recommend Lou Reed. <laughs> That's a soundtrack for the perfect yes, day. I, just listening gives me the perfect day. Okay, so you wrote one story when you were eight. Yeah. Did that lead to more? Yeah, I always knew I was a writer. I, Amazing. I didn't want to be a writer for many reasons, but mm-hmm. I knew I was mm-hmm. and avoided it. But when I was 12, I wrote a story that won a prize that Eudora Welty judged. And, um, We're all making wide-eyed, oh my, oh my gosh, expressions. Yeah. And then, um, like a lot of people, as I came in adolescence, I, I quit writing. Mm-hmm. It was all too hard, too angsty. And um, I really didn't begin to write again until I was in my 20s in New York. And I began to write poetry. What were you doing when you weren't writing, what was teenage Thaisa like? Oh, teenage yes, Thaisa. <laughs> Do we all want to know? Uh-huh. Was she playing field hockey? Was she cheerleading? No, was she bowling? Thaisa spent the first two years of high school playing hooky. Playing hooky? <laughs> Same. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I spent all of my school playing <laughs> And the last two years, I was, I was in a kind I my family moved, and so I was in a kind of... I was one of the cool kids by accident, Mm. and I did go to school every day. Mm -hmm. And, of course, heavy heavy petting, (laughs) almost, but not quite. (laughs) I approve of everything about this. You know, so so I was pretty messed up. (laughs) But were you interested in, if not writing, then did you still have an interest in the arts at the time? Were you an artsy kid? Not really. I was interested in philosophy of science. Mm. And that would, might end up being my major in college. Uh, this is where Heidegger might come in. Yeah. Yeah, and interestingly, Heidegger isn't part of philosophy of science. but a philosophy. But he was philosophy, mm-hmm. and he had a great impact on me, but I won't derail the interview yes. by going into it. And where did you go to school? I went to Oberlin and Columbia. Oberlin and Columbia. Science is not the first thing that comes to mind. When you think of Oberlin, Oberlin, yeah. Yeah, I know, but it had a great a great math department. I just want to backtrack and say mm-hmm. that 
when that I, when I really began to write, I turned down a full fellowship for the Iowa Writers Workshop. Why did you do that? Because I don't think writing can be taught. Okay, hold on a second. Yeah. Interesting. We got to unpack this. Yeah, I love it. Aren't you a writing teacher? Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> and you've you, written a book about writing. Yeah. Yes. But do you know what I mostly teach? Hmm. That it can't be taught, and how to and how to deconstruct all those rules, mm-hmm. and how to find a way to talk to yourself in writing. And I'm really interested in structure. That's the philosophy of science part of me. But Fascinating. I am too, and I feel like. I feel like I learned to write by studying structure, mm-hmm. and so then I feel like I was taught, wasn't I? Mm. Like you what? I was taught oh, to you write. Like taught. if you teach structure, is that teaching writing? Well, when I teach structure, I mean things like, what exactly is a narrative arc mm-hmm. where, the, where, the, where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts? Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's voice? What is it? I guess that's what I meant when I was saying you were interested in nuts and bolts. That's yeah, I, I am. What I'm not interested in is um, sort of traditional ideas of plot, character, conflict, and resolution, hmm. uh, character development. I'm not interested in those, in those courses and books that promise you that if you think a certain way, you will write. Uh, I do, I, think, I do mm-hmm. think writing is badly taught, and I think that the workshop is usually atrocious. I completely wow. agree. And I, I, do, I do not have an MFA. Firebolts. And I stopped going to workshops. I tried to go to workshops to learn to write and realized I would go nowhere and stopped for 20 years. Do, right. Do you yeah. think – I felt like when I went through <laughs> – She's just out of control in here. I know, I love it. Glasses <laughs> clinking. Um, <laughs> so w- when I went through a graduate program for writing, I came out of it feeling like I had learned how to read, not uh-huh. write. Which is good. Do you think reading can be taught? That's a really interesting question. I think probably it can. Uh, I mean, I was just reading a really wonderful, wonderful book called The Art of Mystery by Maud Casey. It's part I of the art of her. I didn't know that had come out. Oh, it's wonderful. I'm actually thinking of writing The Art of Narrative for that series. Okay, I love that series. Oh, the, isn't that great? The Art of Subtext by Charles Baxter yes. is the best writing book I've ever read. Yes. Yes, and and in those books, those books talk about what I'm interested in, and Maud Casey has I'm getting it today. mentioned so many writers just in the beginning that I want to read that I've never heard of. She reads. She doesn't read writers who know are good. She reads good writers. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I'm excited! I love getting a oh, great book recommendation. Oh, she, I, I'm, I'm entranced by that book. Oh, it's so well written. So yes, I think reading can be taught. What, what I'm hearing right now that's kind of piquing my interest is that you have forged a long career as a writer in the world of writers with kind of an unconventional approach to what <laughs> writing is. And how have you managed to do that? I'm sure during your adult life, you've probably gotten into some pretty heated debates about whether writing can be taught oh. and what it means to teach writing. Well, I am polite, and I, ex- I-, I recuse myself, <laughs> just like Jeff Sessions. <laughs> but how do you manage to come through all this without doubting? Well, because if you really look at the history of writers and writing, when did MFA programs start? All writers are, were self-taught. Can you imagine Henry James and Jane Austen in a workshop? Um, no, so but if they had been born a hundred years later, they probably would have been. They would have been, but they didn't need to be. Mm-hmm. And 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 my so my model of the writer has always been the solitary self-teacher, hmm. because writing happens in silence, and reading happens in silence, and premature feedback fractures voice. What about having readers for your work? I always had them. Oh, we mean people outside me. Mm-hmm. They were editors. But I was just lucky. Wow. Okay, so let's back up. So, you, you <laughs> A, why did you apply for the fellowship oh, if you weren't going to take it? Because I was breaking up with someone and I was desperate. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's the major <laughs> reasons to do everything in life when you're yeah. young, practically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you didn't do it. Well, I, I went there in mm-hmm. the summer to see it. It was flat. I wasn't impressed with the, fa- with the faculty. Who was there at the time? 
I don't even want to say. I know. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say. Okay. I just, they didn't impress me. Okay. I didn't want to go to writing school with them. But but you were interested in being a writer. So what did you do? You turn it down and then what did you do? I turned it down. Uh, I was still uh, working as a therapist. I Whoa, whoa, back up. Mm -hmm. You were a therapist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How did you choose? It's interesting to me because... We, you're, you're not the only therapist writer uh-huh. in the grotto, and it's an interesting path to me because they're born of similar impulses, I think. Storytelling. Yes. Mm-hmm. An interest in people. Uh, well, yes, except interestingly, I'm not a character-driven writer. I start with an image or an idea, and I eventually began to find therapy stultifying for the fun, for many reasons. First, they would, my clients would say to me, you're a writer. Are you going to write about me? <sighs> and of course, I never would, mm-hmm. but I had to turn off my writer's mind when they were talking. So I couldn't see how their nose was interesting. Or, yeah, because you'd want to write. That's what I want to write. And every once in a while, I'd just be overcome with wanting to ask a writer question. <laughs> oh, I was breaking up with my boyfriend, and we were in a restaurant, and I wanted to say, what restaurant? What did you eat? <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> what were you wearing? What was he wearing? Right, exactly. Uh. So it became a little stultifying, and the reductionistic language of therapy is not conducive to the imagination. Mm. Mm. We think we can explain people, mm-hmm. or it's, it's kind of a, something to hold on to in the storm when you're working with someone going nuts. But that isn't really what's going on. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I was always interested in people, and I was good at it. Mm-hmm. But the siren song of writing was too strong to ignore. I was still writing when I was doing therapy. Okay. I already, when I quit, I was, I, was in the, I was still working on the writer's voice book. Mm, okay. Oh, okay, so you were a therapist for a while. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I had written, I guess I'd written Camouflage mm-hmm. and the voice book. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, a small book with a press called Kelsey Street Press that publishes oh so modern people <laughs> like yourself. <laughs> well, <laughs> and yeah, so I had been. I was. I was doing both. And where were you living at the time? I, I had moved from New York to Berkeley, where you are still. Where I am still. So what spawned that move? It's it's a, not an uncommon move. We got a lot of New Yorkers decamping yeah, for Berkeley. I know. <laughs> <laughs> And when was this? It was in 1982. Okay. And what brought you out? Uh, well, I... Well, you really want to know? I do. Uh, Why you're here. Okay. So um, I've been a kind of mover and shaker in the feminist movement in New York, uh, sort of getting rid of uh, definitions of the normal person by male definitions. And I had been part of a big collective that interviewed therapists, and I talks and give talks, and you know, eating at Mother Courage and Gloria Steinem, and I, was I Vivian Gornick. Yeah, I wanted to get away from that. I wanted to get away. So from you went that to Berkeley. Voice. I went to Berkeley. <laughs> There's a lot of well country done. in between. It's probably easier to get I away know, from that I stuff. I stopped over a lot of places, <clears throat> and also to be honest, I wanted to study Zen, mm-hmm. partly because. I, I thought I got it, but partly because I think that silence and language sort of are mirrors, and silence is kind of the bedfellow of language, and I knew that I needed to shut up in my mind. So it's funny that you said silence just as the word popped into my head. Were you interested in silence, or were you needing silence? Whoa, that's such a good question. I think both. Mm-hmm. I think both. Because it sounds like in New York, you were as far from silence as you could have been. Yes and no. New York is a great walking meditative city. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I meant what you were doing. Oh, yes. It was It was a loud, a loud life. I, you know, when I moved to New York, one of the things I loved about it was I felt very safe when I went to sleep because I could hear everything around yeah. me. There oh, wasn't that deep silence of the West, yes. which always unnerved me right. as a kid, yeah. especially. I always loved that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I would feel like, okay, I'm going to lose consciousness, but all these other people are keeping consciousness going. Yeah. And when I wake up, it's going to be okay. Well, you know, sometimes I think, and, and I would imagine the silence you were looking for 
isn't really impacted much by what's going on outside your door. There could be someone jackhammering and yeah, you could still right. find that silence. Exactly. It's an inner sort of silence, right? It's an inner silence. And it's harder to find, harder and harder, do you think? Or Yes. Yeah, yeah I think it's hard. And I just think the nature of the human mind is that it it, it talks mm-hmm. inwardly. <laughs> Yeah, I won't yeah. shut up. I know that for sure. Yeah. Opinions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how successful were you in finding that when you came to Berkeley? Oh, I don't think you want to hear the history of of spiritual movements in Zen. Let's just put it really <laughs> quickly. Okay. That I found places to practice. I even practiced with, uh, now he, he died at 108, Sasaki. Yeah. But uh, at every single place there was corruption. So I never found what they call a sangha, a group. I went from place to place. I was a nomad. (laughs) And did you run across Fenton Johnson in those circles? I was going to say, you you are circling Fenton. Yeah. Yeah, No, I know Fenton because of other friends Mm -hmm. who just knew him. Mm -hmm. Well, he was in San Francisco at the Zen Center, right? Right, yeah. And he he has a definite practice and, and... very so, interesting one. And all of this spiritual development could be going on parallel to writing or could be going on hand-in-hand with writing. How did it work for you? Oh, what an interesting question. That's very interesting. The first Zen Center I went to actually is not corrupt, so I can mention it. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Berkeley Zen Center run by Mel Weitzman, who then became... Oh, that's nice to hear. Oh, Roshi. Yeah. Uh, and, but they were quite rigid, and they thought that you had to choose between right. writing and Zen. And I thought, and that's ridiculous. Right. Uh, you know, I ended up doing some Rinzai Zen with koans, and you drink sake, and you talk a lot. That's, so, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's Spiritual. pretty good. So, uh, so in, in the beginning, there, there was a sense of you can't do both. And in fact... Um, not to make a big mystique of it, but there is a way that when writing is really working, it feels as though the words are coming from nowhere, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Zen is talking about. And I'm sure that they had an idea of writing at the Berkeley Zen Center where you don't reach that place. You know, you're always chattering, but mm-hmm. there is this other place. So at some point, I had to come to peace with that. Do you think there was some part of you that was interested? I mean, Zen is maybe not a religion, but it, it is spiritual, I think. Do you think that some of that comes from your grandparents, who I know one was a Presbyterian theologian and the other was Hasidim? Well, he was an anti-Hasidim. Oh, anti-Hasidim. He had come over from Romania. He was uh, uh, he grew up in a little town. And he was the older son who went to Paris to, oh, the, like to the seminary. And when he found out that the earth revolved around the sun, it blew his mind. He gave up religion and came to America. Oh, that's a good story. So, yeah. But my other grandfather, I simply adore. And he was really the only person in my family I really loved. He was uh, a famous theologian. He was Presbyterian. But I have read some of his philosophical work and don't think he bought the story, although he told it. What's there? I think that's not uncommon. You think so? I think so. I think in Christianity... You learn enough and you're like, wait a minute. Well, I think you could talk to... I mean, Fenton's an example. You think you could talk to a lot of Jesuits Uh and find that the actual Christianity component is very metaphorical. That's interesting, yes. So he was like that and... Um, he was just an amazing man. He was a great man. And, I mean, when I was about seven, I found out that he just closeted himself in his study all week and read detective stories, and then he'd use them in his sermons. <laughs> oh, my God, what a beautiful life. <laughs> and, and, but I, I thought, oh, that's a good way to live, and there is a, a small way that writers can live that way. <laughs> I, I agree. Don't you think? I mean, I do find sometimes I have this guilty moment of, like, I am getting away with murder right now. I I'm working, I, but I'm reading. Yes. You never feel like that? Well, I'm, it's wow. there are very big prices to pay. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're, oh, they're and they're not as obvious sometimes as they may as seem. Obvious. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, my mind is spinning right now. Same. 
<laughs> All in good ways, though. I mean, I have a question that should wait, but I keep wanting to ask. I, and I have a question that's not really germane, but I really want to know, like, how your famous Presbyterian grandfather felt when his child married the child of a Hasidim. He didn't care. Really? He had gotten yeah. to that point where he's like, it's I cool. Pre- you know, he was... He finally quit being president of the seminary because they wouldn't extend their housing to blacks. And quite interestingly, when my mother came to visit their house, I got no sense that they felt the difference. When my father came to visit my mother's family, there was a big deal about the difference. Well, for, for, for them, it was a step up in the world. Mm. You know, mm. uh, I mean, a regular prince, they would say about my father. <laughs> oh, that's nice. But there was a lot of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather, my other grandfather didn't. And, and the other part of it is he you know, came over, you know, his family came over in the Mayflower. He was in the he kind of the, the, right. he, he didn't have to, he didn't right. care about belonging. But he really was a, a great person. That's beautiful. I love hearing that. <clears throat> All right, so... I'm trying to I'm trying to meld the, the Zen and the writing and 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 the storytelling and, and the subjects that you end up writing about. How does it develop deciding what you want to write about? And I find it interesting that one of your first books is a book on writing. Yeah, um, I think the best the, the best way to answer that question is that for me there are two kinds of writing. There's the writing that I think I want to write about. And there's the writing that chooses me. Mm -hmm. And the writing that chooses me is always a surprise. Uh, And what about feelings of authenticity? Does the writing that chooses you, when writing chooses you, do you just listen and go, oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Or do you fight it and think, well, no, I want to write about trampolines? Well, sometimes I fight it, but the writing that chooses me um, happens as the writing is happening, if that makes sense, it unfolds. Mm-hmm. It's that mysterious unfolding that Zen likes to talk about and all that, that being in the moment, the one thing just naturally leading to the other. But I often, I often start with an image or a title. I knew I wanted to write a book called Heidegger's Glasses. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was about. And that's a novel. No way. You didn't know what it was. No, I didn't. This is how that's incredible. This is how musicians write songs. Really? Sure, but that's a three minute song. <laughs> okay, this I want to talk about. So there's two things I really want to talk about. One is flash fiction, because I'm interested as a nonfiction writer, can you write flash nonfiction? how do you know how long something is going to be? Is it something that you distill down from something longer, mm. or is it always had that length? And then or I want to talk about your poetry. Yeah, or do you sit down and go, I'm going to write a hundred word story. Or you have an idea and you're like, or an image, or a title even, and it's like, that's Flash, or that's a novel. Hmm. Not for me. I, I mean, I would say that there's a book that just comes out, that just came out called Microfictions, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and I have two stories in it. It's by Norton. Yeah. <laughs> plug, plug. Yes, please. Uh, mm-hmm. And but so okay, those those two stories in there were longer stories. Mm-hmm. They maybe were six hundred, seven hundred words, and the editor wanted to include them, and I just pared everything away until they were three hundred words. And you can do that. Is that the length of microfiction? It's the length. Three hundred or less. Three hundred or less. I feel like you've embraced that form. Um, what was it about it that really speaks to you? That's, hmm, that's such a good question. Um, well, well, are you paying attention to how often she says it to I questions have. I ask? Yeah, I know. Because, because yeah. they are, they're actually probing. I'm just like <laughs> yes, chatting. Yes. I know, I know. So, um, well, what, what, what appeals to me for one thing is that uh, I like reading the form. Most of the mm-hmm. time... The kinds of mistakes that writers make in longer forms can't happen. Mm-hmm. Like you can't have a summary or now he went to the store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she thought yes. she'd call. <laughs> Those kinds of things. You ha- Everything has to be compressed and necessary and relevant. So I like the form. 
I mean, often I start a novel when I'm interested in the beginning, and then by the middle, I'm so involved in, in reductionistic explanations and past events that made the character do what they do. <laughs> I'm like, Driving in cars, that's a problem for me. Yeah. Or whatever. Uh, yeah, exactly. Everyone's getting in cars, having conversations in cars. Yeah. 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 No cars. But, but when you think of microfiction, <clears throat> you know, one thing, the you know, the local godfather of microfiction, Grant, Faulkner said to me once was that it wasn't even to me. Someone said, what is a, what, what is a, what does a hundred word story require? And he said, it has to have a middle, a beginning, a middle and an end. Do you agree with that? Or can yeah. they be snippets of time? No, it has to have an arc, but I don't know what Grant meant. I mean, I've, I've written for that site and I know Grant and I don't really know what he meant mm-hmm. because what I would say is that the appeal of my, of, and I, and I think microfiction and all these little categories like 100 words 300 words i think that's kind of getting kind of silly to be honest i think flash fiction is short mm-hmm. yeah you know when you see it that's <laughs> the easy thing and and ideally maybe it's good to be 600 words or less so you really know what's flash and not like a saggy short story <laughs> <laughs> but but what i think is interesting about my is about flash is that it has to have an arc and and you can, and flash is easy to teach and interesting to talk about and easy to think about because you can see the arc at the same time that you can see the individual sentences whereas you can yeah. never do that in a novel so you can really figure out whether there is an arc in flash fiction but that's what i think it doesn't mm-hmm. need a beginning middle and an end mm, okay an and i would heartily disagree with grant heartily yes i like it I, you know, I don't like disagreement. I like it. I love disagreement. She likes disagreement. But that's because that's where the juice is. Yeah. Well, the juice is right here. Juice. <laughs> oh, juice. Juice. And. Plural. I'm just going to go out there. I'm not a novelist. But say that without disagreement, this could be a problem in your novel. Mm. You've got to have, like. That's interesting. It's got to rumble. Got to rumble. It's got to. I mean, you don't want to have that much, like, pleasantness. Yeah. Well, if I were. Um, if I were just not doing this program, I would ask you why you don't like disagreement. Hmm. Well, it's because you're a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know the answer, though, but we can talk about it later. Yeah, that can come <laughs> and, later. And, and, and there also is nonfiction flash, if you're interested. Oh, I you were going to ask that. I can, yeah, I, I can direct you to some Yeah, sites. please do. Well, what can, are you, do you know them off the top of your head so that we can share One them? One is with Hobart. Our, Hobart, okay. But it doesn't have, it doesn't have submissions often. I just want to read Flash nonfiction so yeah. that I can get a sense yeah. of what it is. And Oh, there's a book out called Nonfiction Flash. There you go. There you go. And just look it up. That's what I'm, it's called. I'm going to check it out because um, I recently had the experience of I've returned. I started writing by writing poetry also and then didn't write poetry for 20 years. And I, someone asked me to write a poem for oh. an anthology. Um, and the only way I was able to do it was to take a very pretty long um, nonfiction memoir piece and write it and just try and distill it down. And I realized, like, oh, maybe Flash could work the same way, except that yes, it probably has to have more narrative drive than a poem does. That brings up something that just occurred to me. Do you women, how do you feel about that, the idea that something, a story, an idea can exist in multiple forms? Could you take, you know, Heidegger's glasses and rewrite it as a short story? As a song, as a poem, is it possible to do that? It might be possible for another writer, but I don't think it would be possible for me. Things things occur to you as what they're going to be as that form. I think structure is so um, involved in story that in in a certain way, I feel like the poem worked because the nonfiction piece doesn't work. What about taking a book and turning it into a screenplay? Well, that must work. I people don't do know it. about that, but I yeah. know people do it. Wow. Well, I don't know how so, successfully. But it's so hard to do, right? <laughs> yeah. And usually it is best when it doesn't hew very closely to. Right, because you have to sort of choose what's important about it. Yeah. Although, you know what works really well as a movie? And as I just a couple of years ago reread A Room with a View. Oh. Yeah. And it's yeah. amazing how much of that book is in the movie. It's yeah. really incredible and it almost feels prophetic that he wrote the book that way i think last picture show does too yeah there you go i was going to ask something that was going to make you bristle so i'll restate i'll refigure oh no please no i was going to ask we don't mind well no it's it's a seemingly innocent question okay please please i was going to ask if you had been trained as a short story writer but i now know 
that you don't want to be, consider that yourself being trained. trained. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I read from the time I was very little. And who were your influences? Well, my very first real influence was Faulkner. Oh. Interesting. When I was 13, I read As I Lay Dying. And I just, I don't know, I was so reached. What was it? Well, I remember sitting on my bed and feeling so reached, and I think that was a time when something about writing was clarified for me. I mm. thought, I want to do this. I want to reach someone who's 13 years old. I'm laughing because I just noticed as you said that your mic's getting lower and lower. <laughs> oh, and it's lower. bad. There's it's something bad. There's something. So, I blame other people. So did you get that? I should, did. Should I hold it? I mean, I mean, did you do Oh, no, no. Yeah, no, it sounds fine. I'm just watching you get a little bit lower. This is like holding a flower. <laughs> I don't know how to make it work, yeah. though. I don't either. Yeah. Um, well, well, then I'll, I'll just hold it. Okay. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Actually, you can't because at that point, a bunch of bink, bink, bink stuff comes. So oh. just let it just be comfortable okay. getting lower okay. and well, lower. Well, she doesn't have to get lower. I know. Fortunately, okay. she's not a giant, so she doesn't have to get yes, lower. Yes, it's fine. And at what point did the influences of stuff that you were reading sort of break down a little bit more? I mean, that that's a great story about an initial impact uh-huh. of reading. But at some point, were you reading things thinking... I like this narrative control. I like this description. I like these elements of this. This is yeah. shaping me. Well, or I, I want to be like this writer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, because see, the, the things that opened me up, opened up my imagination weren't necessarily the things I did. And uh, I think maybe one of my first influences was Donald Barthelme. Mm. Oh, wow. That's going off the reservation there. Yeah. And um, I have a funny story to tell about that. I sent four pieces to the New Yorker, and I got back a long, long letter from the editor saying, these are wonderful imitations of Donald Bartholomew, uh-huh. but we don't know what you want us to feel about Donald Bartholomew. <laughs> That Assuming is, that that's why you wrote them? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Story, yeah, yeah. Eventually I got to know this editor, but never really wanted to write a New Yorker story. So, But Bartholomew was a great influence. Uh, so was Calvino. So was Borges. So was Kafka. All the writers who sort of... I'm sorry I can't mention a woman. I feel terrible. I just was the, trying not to notice that. I know. it was. I really feel bad, but those were the writers that really influenced me because they 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 were not character driven mm-hmm. they always went off the path and it was it was it was driven by an absurd idea that was somehow made real mm-hmm. because of realistic details and careful craft and that's what interested me and that's what influenced me and you do write poetry right no just in the backwater, a flash is actually as as sure as I get. That sort of surprises me because it sounds like what you're describing is poetry. Well, when you think about Calvino and Borges, they are kinds of they are kind of poems in that they're this elusive world that you yeah. half understand and half don't, like a dream. Yeah, but makes sense somehow, and you can't quite explain why it makes sense, at least to me. So I think. They they do have a relationship to poetry like that. Yeah, I I I, I think except for a few poems I've written, um, I don't get the surprise that I get when I write a short story or piece of flash because I never the, the clue for me that something is going to work is something surprising happens to me and that usually mm. is 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 the arc and and then I realize how it's going to end. Uh, and with poetry, I can get very literal, except for mm. a few good poems. I Interesting. The question I was going to ask was, listening to you talk about your process and the things that you think about when you're writing, I'm wondering about how much you think about the audience when you're writing. Who's going to be reading this? It's, yeah. I won't say it's an interesting question, although it is. <laughs> hey, another interesting yeah, question. I often have a kind of subliminal sense that I'm writing to someone. 
I don't know like who that. the someone is. But it's a specific idea of a reader? It's, an a feeling, reader? it's a feeling. It's a feeling you get when you're, you know, we've all been in, in, talked in front of an audience. And there's some feeling you get. And that's different from writing for someone. You write, uh, you know, you write a paper for a teacher. You write a letter to a friend. Mm-hmm. And when that ha- and so i i can go in and out of awareness of that when i when i th- if i think too much about audience and that has happened to me when an editor has pushed me i i, I just lock up hmm. but i but i do think for me writing doesn't mean very much unless a stranger sees it agreed a stranger, not oh, someone I in love room. that you said that. Yeah, that is oh, great. Really? I do. I love oh. it. And it sort of surprises me because the, up till now, the impression I had gotten was that the writing for you was, uh, seemed like a sort of a spiritual experience and it didn't really matter if someone was reading it or not. Oh, spirituality is very much about being in the world. <laughs> and it's also, you know, really, I, I mean, I do think art is a gift and it should be communicated. It should be shared. Mm-hmm. And you should get money for it. I completely agree. <laughs> Definitely that last point. Let's go back to Berkeley, shall we? Oh, yes. Because I want to get to the point where you start publishing more books. Yeah. Uh, from the ashes of your Zen experience, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you take that step to where it was went from something you were pursuing to something you were doing? Uh, well, really, I was kind of lucky. It happened for me. Uh, when I turned down the fellowship at Iowa, I was already coming out with a small book with Kelsey Street that I don't mention. Uh, it was lots of flash. Okay, you've mentioned it twice. I guess I have. <laughs> and then I, I didn't write, I didn't publish for a while. I mean, I published short stories here and there, actually. Uh, I, I did publish. And I mean, like in, in, you know, in reviews and things like that. And then, uh, but then uh, there was an editor who was looking for a new writer. And one of their scouts heard me read and saw a piece of mine and called me and asked for my work. And I had a really hard time sending it. And I send bits and pieces. And this person lived in Berkeley, very, very good writer, but lived very strangely and minimally. I mean, he was published everywhere, like big presses. So one day he said, okay, I'll come over on my bicycle and get your work. And I thought, uh, oh, if he's going to come over on his bicycle, I'll make myself give it to him. (laughs) (laughs) Did you think it wasn't going to go anywhere? No, I I, I mean, just just as I do think of audience... I'm I'm terrified of visibility, mm-hmm. but I love visibility. But I'm frightened of it, and oh. and, and so it goes back. Look at me! Don't look at me. No, yeah. I, oh, I, I get it. And I think lots of writers have mm-hmm. very ambivalent feelings about being seen. They truly want to be seen and understood, but they also don't want to be seen. I must feel like we want to be seen on our own terms. Yes. Want to be seen how I want to be seen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I want to be seen on my own terms, but I do want me on my own terms Heck to yeah. be seen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, dude comes over on his bike. Yes. And you give it to him. Uh, and, and I gave it to him. Good. And then he gave it to the editor, I mean, to the publisher, and the publisher said, I don't want to publish these. At least look like stories in the New Yorker. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. rats. I, I mean, so that has been said about some of my work, yeah. that I should be in the New Yorker. So, so as a pejorative, what does that mean? He meant, you know, you can, you know, Opal is 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 by the pool at her family reunion in New Hampshire, you know, that kind of thing. Are you saying you weren't cool enough? I was too. I was too polished. Too polished. I was not a street. I was, I was Linda ah. Rough Rider. Yeah. I wasn't Bukowski. <laughs> well, thank God. I was too polished. <laughs> yeah. And 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 the, and the guy in the bicycle said, "Keep reading." He found and, the hidden Bukowski. No, he thought the. <laughs> I was. You know, there was something I was. I was doing. And so then one day I I got I was in the bathtub. And my husband brought in the phone, and it was the publisher who just said to me, "Oh, yeah, you that 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 Walker in your in your in your stories. He's really really hard, you know. Oh, we should do something about. We should make him behave. It wasn't even I don't like him, and he didn't even tell me he was publishing the book, but I knew he was going to publish mm-hmm. it. 
Oh my gosh, that's a great story. Which book was that? The a brief history of camouflage. I remember those days in the tub, and you have like a really long cord. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like he couldn't, you know, he couldn't leave a message. You got to pick it up. Got to pick it up. <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't be able to call back. He might not answer. Right. When you change careers, was there any feeling of fear of the unknown, or did you just charge ahead? I just charged ahead. We keep getting people in here who just charge ahead. Yeah, I think it's the only way, honestly. That's how they get here. I yeah. mean, now I sometimes think, oh, I, I wish I had studied law. And oh, I yeah. could be a lawyer. It would just be so much easier and I would make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe I should have you know, gotten, gotten a PhD in, in philosophy. And I really do think that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think it at the time. Thank God, because you'd have like debt, like crazy debt. Yeah, but I wonder if that's. I, I'm actually happy to hear that because that's. I've, I've used that as sort of a half joke to people. You know, like if I had known all jobs sucked, I would have just gone to law school, made a lot of money. You <laughs> yes, know, I, why not? <laughs> it's it's funny to hear that yeah. from someone who I consider to be a raging success. I mean, you have how many I, books? Five books? I think six. Six books. That's pretty cool, man. I do, but do you think all jobs suck? I think being a writer doesn't suck. I mean, the money part doesn't. Yeah, that part not sucks. Great. That's not really a job in that case. But, but there's so much that's good about being a writer. There's a lot that's really hard, yeah. and the money part is really hard. But regular jobs, if you've had them, they're terrible. I think that's what I meant. Regular yeah. jobs. Yeah, and I and I did have some terrible jobs when I first got. Yeah. Well, when I dropped out of college, because I did drop out when I went back. But I had some awful jobs, you know, where I had to clock in. And, mm-hmm. and, and I do think that that was probably a great thing because I realized I didn't, I couldn't work in an office. Mm-hmm. Same. I was, I could not have a regular job. It was just the worst. Yeah. The worst thing. Yeah. So it was like. It's like high school. Yeah. And it was like recognizing an infirmity in me that I couldn't be like other people. How do you um, deal with that? Well. I, 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 it turned out I just accepted the infirmity. I'm going to be a writer or I'm going to be a therapist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. do something where I don't have to show up in a certain way hmm. and make my own hours. That's pretty healthy. Yeah, I guess it was. At the time, I thought it was just like I was crippled. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's super healthy. It's also really taking care of who you really are, which most people don't do. Yeah. Or, that, yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think it's yeah. really important. We don't have much time to get through the last four books of your career, but I'm going to give it a shot. I was, I was seeing, I wish I could have more eye contact with you because I feel, am I really talking to this? You know, I know, and, and mine's off to the yeah, side. I can so hardly I'm kinda, see you, but anyway. So. Um, so you wrote a couple books of short stories, and then you went for the novel, and we already sort of talked about how the novels kind of yeah. popped into your head as a novel. But what were some of the challenges? I mean, it seems like short stories and shorter fiction is your sweet spot. Yes, it is. And, you know, I'm writing another novel because that's what sells. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there is a sense of having gotten more visibility and being pushed into a sense of audience. And I keep remembering what Georgia O'Keeffe said, that that her best years were when no one knew what she was doing. Mm. And so I have been pushed. You know, I have had to take book tours and all that stuff. And that... I have to. I, I've had to learn that there's a step in shutting a second step in shutting the world out. So uh, the novel is not my favorite form because I do think it can get into a lot of of um, of, of unnecessary connective tissue. And my my goal is to write a novel that doesn't do that. Mm. Like The Dwarf by Para Lockerfist, for example. I was just going to ask you to give an example. Yeah. Or Silk. Uh, or there's a book, I can't remember her name, and I wish I could. She's a writer that people don't know. It's called The Diver's Clothes Are Empty. I've heard and of And I just thought it had remarkable unity. So, yes. So novels are not my sweet spot. But is it nice to have that new challenge? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what isn't nice is having days when I, when when it sucks. Yeah, <laughs> when I work and I don't really, I know I don't like what I did. I, I feel like I'm working on one right now, and I oh. feel like there's days when you go, go. I had three good days, and the fourth day, oh my god, I ended up in a horrible corner. Yeah. Now what? Exactly. <laughs> Just rip yeah. the whole thing up, start over yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. But that's my cross to bear. No, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess as we as we wind down here, I, I do want to know what brought you back to the grotto. 
Oh, well, I I never stopped my membership. Oh, did you just go office, never, no office? I just office, no office. When you're not here, where do you write? I write in my writing studio in Berkeley. And actually, we live one block over from Berkeley between... It's right over from Wolsey between College and Telegraph, so it's really Oakland. But I have a writing studio. Well, I'll tell you right now, you want to tell people you live in Oakland because Oakland is very hip now. Oh, yes, it's the new Brooklyn. It's the new Brooklyn. Well, I live in the new Brooklyn. Yes, you do. All you had to do was just stay there, and it came to you. Yes. So that's where I write, Mm -hmm. and I recently, for a while, I couldn't write there. I don't know why. Hmm. A sense of place can really impinge on me it's in really true, ways. Yeah. And, and are you able to now? Well, I completely demolished it and couldn't use it for a year. And now I've sort of redone it as a, as a, as a more homey, antique-looking place instead of the sleek sort of, you know, Industrial techie. Industrial or whatever, yeah. Right, yes. is, it, is it part of your house or detached from your house? It's a garage that uh, is it was attached to the house. And when my kid was eight, I, I found a way to make stairs down to it to a little room and put a door in so he would never feel alone. Hmm. So it's a very weird garage house studio thing. Right now I have this mental picture of you taking a sledgehammer to it, but I know that's not what happened. But I'm kind of disappointed. Don't you kind of wish she had just sledgehammer him? She said she, dest- she destroyed it? I, yeah, I, I would yeah, like that. I did. I wanted to, yeah. <laughs> but it is, you know, I, it is kind of incredible how... Um, how your environment can have such mm-hmm. a huge impact on you, and you never know what it's going to be. Yeah. We moved to a new apartment, and I had to give up an office, uh-huh. a much smaller space now. And my husband said, oh, you can just put a... He, like, found this corner in the living room. He's like, you can put a desk right here. I'm like, are you it's not the same. crazy? But it's fine. I can't, I'm, I'm I can't write it. There. Uh, yeah, it's I crazy. You need to have that door, because I cannot write if my wife is home. And I'm because I, I know that feeling. We and we just actually talked a lot about this in our intro. How I'm having issues with where to write right now. Oh, oh you were going to ask Taisa that. Where should you oh, write? Where should I write? So I mean, there, there is a writer. It might have been, might have been Toni Morrison. It might have been someone else who who she could obviously afford it. Went from house to house, from state to state, because she couldn't find the place where she could write the novel. It's the weirdest thing. And did she find it? She, I, apparently she did, and I can't remember <coughs> which writer it was. You know, I had a lot of success recently writing. I went, tagged along on my wife's business trip to Switzerland, and I sat in the hotel room and just banged it out every day. And hotel now, rooms work. There was nothing else to do, right? Yeah, and you don't know anybody. Right. And there was no... And no, no responsibilities. No errands. No... Right, yeah. I do think that's helpful. And there are no associations either. And no dog to drive me crazy yeah, and no crazy like, people at the library. I do think no associations yeah. is very helpful. It was really an eye-opener. But yeah, I'm still searching for that place here because obviously I can't go to Switzerland all the time and write. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Not complaining. You're not here to be complaining. Well, you know, we are actually out of time. This was it went so fast. So good. I apologize so for the limp microphone. Um, Taisa, tell the listeners uh, your website, Twitter, if you do that, yeah. all that stuff. My Twitter handle is at Taisa Frank, and my website is www.taisafrank.com. You might That's the sp- great thing about having the name Taisa. Well, it's T-H-A-I-S-A in right. case. That's true. You've got to spell it. Um, that's where you can find her. Yes, and when you have that name, then yeah. you don't have to... Battle other Thaisa Franks. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, you can find me on in the old internet at uh, at that Larry Rosen at Twitter and Instagram. My website for my other podcast is is it good for the Jews dot com. It looks like Thaisa wants to say something else. No, I just oh, you were just listening. Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) She looked at that question. What's the question? Is it good for the Jews? Every week we answer that question just based on different stuff. Oh, it's oh, a new question all the time. I, th- I think I was going to say that's a cool thing. I know. It's the best thing yeah. I mean, is it good for the... Yes, it was b- one of the few good. moments of true inspiration I've had in my life is the name <laughs> and concept for that podcast. It's very good. It's pretty easy. BQ, what say you? I say, sadly, maybe not the best. I thought it was amusing at the time. At bequintrest is my handle on Instagram and Twitter or bridgequinauthor.com if you want to go to my website. And Larry, I want to thank our producers, Beth Weingarner, Lee Kravitz, and Lori Ann Doyle. Thank you, you guys. And 
Thanks to our partners, the San Francisco Public Library and Babylon Salon. New reading coming up December first. December, December first. Mm-hmm. I believe Lorianne Doyle is going to be reading. Vanessa Waugh is going to be reading. Both Grottopod alums. And you guys better go. Beth will be reading. And Beth Lankarner's reading. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah. As for the Grottopod, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Grottopod. You can email us, like I said earlier, grottopod at <laughs> gmail.com. Yeah, listen, you just get that stuff. Uh, that's all I have to say. Well, here's what I want to say. You guys, read, write, and just keep working. 